0: Well, we're going to get into the Word. I want to use every bit of time um, that I have. And uh, so turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Pastor Tony ahead of time told me this way of um, monitoring how much time I have. And I was going to use his way on my cell phone, but I think it'll just blow my mind to keep my eye on that. So I'm just going to look at the regular watch and I'll I'll try to uh, end what I'm supposed to Galatians chapter 5. Let's read through this uh, short portion here. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, and you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. This passage, and actually the book of Galatians um, in in entirety, has always been uh, very, very important to me personally. Um, I think uh, probably because I have a background of uh, growing up where, especially with my dad, uh, there was always this kind of a unsaid thing, sometimes said, but unsaid, uh, that I had to prove myself. And... There was this kind of pressure that I had to um, live up to a standard, uh, and to become something that uh, you know meet it met the the bar that was out there for me from my parents, the expectations that they had for me. Well, I didn't I didn't get saved till I was seventeen, but when I I became a Christian, I was very sincere, um, very very uh, zealous uh, for the Lord, and uh, praise God I. I was actually very much um, embraced by those who knew about the grace of God and His favor, but I always had this tendency <clears throat> when I would hear things like, um, "I need to have a quiet time. I need to I need to meet with the Lord every day. It needs to be in the morning, and uh, I need to make sure that I uh, take the Word of God into my heart and I memorize Scripture and and I I would do those things and and God. God blessed it it was It was tremendous, but i also I always found myself kind of in a tendency of going back to that same kind of thing, even though I knew it was by god 's grace that I would do a lot of the things that I did in a, uh, in, a, in my spiritual life uh, by virtue of trying to prove myself uh, and, and and match uh, and come up to some sort of a, a standard and uh, I, I I remember that there were uh, I guess you could call them just like crossroads in my life spiritually where the more that I was trying to prove myself and I was working harder and harder, the more that I found that rather than being successful, I found myself getting deeper into a hole of my own self-effort and, and I became farther and farther away from the grace of God. And... Uh, it's such a paradox because you're trying to do what you're supposed to do. But you're doing it as it says in Galatians, you're doing it in the flesh rather than doing it in the spirit. And as a result of that, <clears throat> rather than sin becoming less, sin would actually grow and become worse. And um, uh, you know, times when the Lord would be singling me out and and showing his call in my life to uh, to minister in a certain way, whether it was the youth group or whatever it was, I found myself in 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 battles where, um, <clears throat> whereas I had been very, very close to the Lord, I didn't feel close to the Lord at all. Have you ever not felt close to the Lord? I, uh, and I question, and of course the devil loves it. Um, the devil um, wants to take opportunity. There's kind of like a sequence. The more that we put um, our our own effort in and we try to prove ourself, uh, the worse it gets. And then we sin uh, because we're we're separated from God's grace to a certain extent because we're trying to do it ourselves rather than him do it. And then the enemy comes in and what he does is he heaps condemnation into your life to make you think that now you've <clears throat> something, you know, you've separated yourself from God, and, and uh, you're a miserable uh, example of what it means to be a Christian, and you begin to actually condemn yourself, and it, it gets worse and worse and worse. So particularly on one occasion, it was at the Colorado River. I was about ready to speak, and I was at the lowest point in my life. I was ready to tell the leader, hey, I'm going home. Somebody else needs to speak, because I am not ready for this. And I pulled aside there was a little stream off stream um, and I, I I brought my bible and it it was like sand. I mean there was nothing to it to me as I, I as I read it, but I thought oh, I'll just hey, I'll read in the book of Galatians and I started reading. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and showed me how my self effort was the thing that was causing a hold on on my life, a, a, a stranglehold of my spiritual life, that I couldn't be who God wanted me to be. Years later, speaking of Pastor Tony, there was a time at Calvary Chapel of York, and I was I was struggling, and uh, and I, I I didn't seem to have the blessing from God and the power that I should, and I don't even remember the circumstances, but I remember up in the office him. And I being there, and I was sharing how I was doing, and I said it all, you know, poured it all out, and he said to me, you know, Harry, I think you should give up. (laughs) I said what? And but then you know, it clicked. You're trying too hard. You're trying too hard. And obviously, there's there's a balance. Right, There is a choice and a decision to live for the Lord, and you've got to decide. A a favorite word of mine more recently is deliberate. It needs to be deliberate. But just because it needs to be deliberate doesn't mean that God needs your power, your person, to make this happen. He expects us to rely upon His Holy Spirit. We have to choose, but when we choose... God does amazing things, and he'll give you everything that's necessary. And so that's the heart of this book. This is, I believe, the heart of the passage we're going to talk about. And I would appreciate if we can just talk about this, all right? Because um, I don't want to give you a lecture. I want to have a Bible study, all right? And I want you to look at the word yourself, because I think just the, the, the theme here is freedom, all right? The theme is freedom, and, and if we're going to have freedom, we have to rely upon the Holy Spirit, even right now, right now. We don't want this to be just some sort of a dry lecture. We want this to be a talk where God works in each one of our lives, all right? Do you want God to work in your life? I want God to work in my life. So let's look at it, okay? We we'll just talk this out, okay? Verse 1, it was for freedom... That Christ set us free. Well, that's redundant, isn't it? Of course it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Why wouldn't it be for freedom that Christ set you free? But I think Paul wants to make a point. The point is you're not supposed to be in bondage. The point is you're not supposed to be held captive by anything, and I'm going to throw it in there, even by your own self-standards even by what you think that you need to actually do to somehow reach a a place of acceptance that's in your own mind of what you think God would have you be. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Well, the background of this book is that the Galatians, you know, Paul came, shared the gospel with them. They received it. They believed it. They were pagans. Um, it, it changed their heart. It changed their life. But as time went on, they had an influence coming in. The Judaizers would come, and they would, they would give this, uh, this message subtly to um, actually say, listen, it's not enough that you've responded to the favor of the Lord. It's not enough that God loves you, and that you have received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You also need to keep those commandments that were given to Moses in the beginning, and you need to maintain those things for you to actually believe that you are accepted by the Lord. And not only the commandments that were given to Moses, but previous to that, the The actual covenant that was given to Abraham that's called circumcision. You also need to make sure that you are fulfilling that covenant as well. If you're not doing both of those things in addition to believing, then you're not saved and you aren't right with God. And I don't think, honestly, in some regards we can relate with that because That would more be the case with, again, those who have had an influence, with those who have a Jewish background, that kind of thing. But my hope is, is we can take this a little bit beyond just the circumstances here and bring them right down to our lives. And I think the passage will allow for that as as we look into it. But just to say, Paul was redundant and said it was for freedom that Christ set us free because the Galatians had started by the Holy Spirit, but at some place along the line, it says here in this book, somewhere along the lines, they thought that, yes, the beginning starts with the Holy Spirit, but now I need to take over. I need to now perfect myself in the flesh. I need to uh, follow through and make sure that these qualities and characteristics that are uh, a God-given from the Old Testament, that those things are in my life And then I can be at rest, that God is in control, and then I am where I'm supposed to be, and I can have a peace then. Well, Paul was adamant to say, no, no, that's absolutely not true. It starts with grace, and every step you take, it must be by God's favor. It must be by the help of the Holy Spirit. It must be that you're dependent upon God that, watch this, that to a certain extent, when it comes right down to it, your salvation, your salvation does not in any way somehow trail back to you that you made it happen. There was a man on a cross who gave his life for you, who was willing to die in your place and that you would actually come into the kingdom of God by nothing that you do, nothing that you do, that in in its... In, <laughs> entirety is something that is the blessing of God upon you that, that from that day forward, you can say, hallelujah. From that, that day forward, you can say, you know, Lord, you did what I could not do. We say it many times in, in our congregation. There's no, there's no one who's going to reach heaven, and they're going to say, yeah, I figured it out. You know, I, I, everybody else had struggles, but I read the Bible myself, and I came to the conclusion that this was the right way, and now I'm here. And I got myself here. Absolutely. You know what? We were all dead in sin. Every single one of us were blind. And if you don't know that, you don't know real salvation because the, the whole world is lost in sin, and we all need a Savior. And so the, the, the wonder of it all is, is when we get to heaven, it's all going to be a gl- glory to God. It's going to be thanksgiving and praise to the one who deserves it all because we could not do it. He is our salvation. And as we're going to see a little bit later, he is our righteousness. He is that for us. And he always is that. And you know what? Subtly, when we take over, we're disacknowledging that he, in fact, is the one who deserves all the glory. It's a a strange thing. The more that you have self-effort in in things, it it trails back again to you that you begin to have confidence in yourself, and then the glory is no longer going to God, it's going to you. And the enemy of our souls will then foster that to try to, to encourage that more, that we'll struggle even in a greater sense. But you know what? The Word of God says, you know what? You're not supposed to be enslaved. You're not supposed to be struggling like that. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Keep, that tells me that's a spiritual battle. The enemy wants to bring in leaven in your life. He wants to bind you up again and hold you captive by your own self-willful effort so that you can, uh, you can actually find yourself entrapped by what it was that you were set free from. Keep standing firm and don't be subject to, again to a yoke of slavery verse two behold I Paul you know Paul you know it seems like when any time Paul used his name something heavy is is going to be said because he's saying I'm affirming this myself and if you realize his history you realize why this is an important point to him personally, but he wanted to, them to realize this is important listen I Paul say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Question: Are the Galatians that he's speaking to Christians? Somebody say yes. <laughs> they are. This just a church that God used him to actually bring in, into existence. So they were believers, but he says, "I, Paul, say to you that if if you receive circumcision." Christ will be of no benefit to you. All right, they are Christians. You know what this opens up? It opens up the possibility that you're a Christian without the benefit of the one that saved you. You're a Christian who actually has Christ in your life, but you're not taking advantage of who he is and what he wants to do for you. Do you think that that's possible? I believe it's totally possible. When you go back to reverting to your own flesh to make things happen, you end up in this situation where rather than Jesus being the strength of your life, the one who gives you the ability to live for him, what ends up happening is, is as you've taken over the benefit, the profit of knowing him, the the profit of actually having his spirit within you, you don't access it. fact... I would dare say you grieve the Holy Spirit. You quench the Holy Spirit. So I I just want to say in a warning to all of us, this is an important, very important thing. Are you living your life by virtue of the trust that you have in Jesus? Are you walking with him daily? Is he your all in all? Have you seen that what you can't do, he can do? And as you abide in him and and him in in you, is his his sweet fellowship with you the most important thing? Because that is the only way that we can actually progress and become more and more who God wants us to be. That's the only way we can know his his love. And just say this, you know, Receiving the forgiveness of Christ and going on is a big deal. And sometimes part of the problem is when we find ourselves enslaved is because we have not received fully that Jesus died on the cross for us and his blood is fully, fully able to atone for all of our sin and that it's all been already washed away. You've already been set free. He is not holding that against you. He couldn't. Because if he did, he would not allow you to be a part of his family. And that being the case, we can be set free because we know that we have been acquitted. It's been canceled. The debt that you had with God has been canceled. It says it in the book of Colossians. You do not have to pay the price anymore. So you can actually now rest in the relationship that you have with Christ. And some of us need to hear this. You need to stop earning your way. You need to stop earning your way before God. He already paid the price. Now the time is is to draw near to him and to know him. And specifically, Paul talks about circumcision. He says, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Well, what was circumcision? It was given to Abraham, and it was actually after he believed in God, and his simple faith was reckoned as righteousness. God counted him righteous. Then later on, he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so that from that point forward, it was like a seal of what it was that he had done in, in believing God. And from then on, every, uh, on the eighth day, every male born in Israel was to be circumcised. So that there was the cutting away of the flesh. And obviously, for, for the man, it's something that was done, you know, at, at infancy. And yet, you know what? It it's all a demonstration and, and symbol of the fact that God had always intended that there would be something that would be dealt with in those who've been chosen by him that he would in fact initially do this in the covenant with Abraham of cutting away the flesh of all of Israel, the firstborn uh, male, or the males, not firstborn, but all the males. Um, But it was to to demonstrate that they belong to God. Now, no one knew that if you were a man. No one knew if you were circumcised or not. Certainly not. It It was a private issue. It was part of your nakedness, and so it was hidden. But that was a symbol, too. Because ultimately, what God was after was that the people of God would be circumcised not in the flesh, but in the heart. Right? That it would be something not done with, um, with men's hands. It would be done actually by God himself. But the idea of cutting away flesh was to demonstrate the fact that to be right with God, to be considered his chosen person, that there needed to be something radical that had to happen in your heart. Israel was constantly spoken to by God that you're stiff-necked, right? And you have a hard heart. And he he longed for them to have a change, and he spoke about it. Well, it didn't happen until Christ came. When Christ came and he died on the cross, you realize what he did? He was crucified for you and, and for me, and his death became our death. That What we couldn't do to change our inner person, he did. If you read Romans 6 and other places, you realize that the death that he died became our death, which means that the circumcision that needed to take place within us to do away with the old man and to make us a new creation in Christ happened when Christ died on that cross and then was raised from the dead. So if you're born again there has been something radical that's happened in your heart where he's dealt with the real issue. We say this in our fellowship too. I believe that that is a bigger miracle than even the rapture. We're all looking forward to the rapture. But you know what? The bigger problem was your heart, right? And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when you believed, your heart got changed. Your flesh was crucified with Christ, And it was dealt with. So for the first time in your life, you know what you could do? You could say, I can actually choose to follow you, God. It's not that I have done it. It's what Christ did on the cross. But now I have a choice in the matter. I can choose. I can deliberately decide to follow you. And sin is no longer my master. You're my Lord. And I can do what you want me to by the Holy Spirit. How desperate are we before we know the Lord? How bad is it? It's bad. Paul says, a wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then he answers himself, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin is no longer your master if you're a Christian, but you need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. I need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Grace and strength, grace and strength from him and him alone. So there was this influence in the Galatian church saying that, no, 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 you're not saved unless you're circumcised. You're not saved. So here's the, here's the amazing... Uh, there's a word for it. I can't think of what it is. But this is weird, okay? Just think about this. The very thing... <laughs> that was meant by God to show that we need to be changed of heart, that he gave to Abraham in a physical sense to cut away the flesh of those males, okay, that became in the life of the church something that actually they took pride in and the influence was there that it was not enough just to have grace and that Faith was the way that we approach God. This very thing was used as what would merit a good standing before God. If you were circumcised, you're okay. If you're not circumcised, even though you did believe, you're not a Christian. Now, you know what's really so important about this passage is? Question, was circumcision part of the law? No, it wasn't. Circumcision happened hundreds of years before the law ever came. So, what's amazing is something that was actually a covenant between Abraham and Israel and God became a law. But it really wasn't first part of the Ten Commandments. But they made it a law. And now it's trying to be enforced in this church. You've got to be circumcised to be saved. And Paul would have nothing of it. He says, if you you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And he gets even stronger. But I want to make a, a correlation here. Listen, I think you can make anything a law. If in your head, whether you do it or you don't do it, it means you're going to either be acceptable to God or not, then it's become a law to you. You say, well, what do you mean? I mean this, that you have created a standard that God did not want to put over your life. Sometimes we are our worst enemies. All right. I might never come back here again. <laughs> but I got... the. <laughs> I'm here now, all right? That means that anything that you do right now that maybe starts in a good motive can turn into a law. That means that in your own mind, in your own heart, this is, um, this is the criteria of whether I am uh, acceptable to God or not, or that God loves me today or not. So, okay, okay. my church attendance. If I don't make it at least three times out of four in a month, then there's something, there must be a barrier or a hindrance now between me and God because I didn't live up to those four times. Or it could be, you know, I've, I've come pretty far now with my, uh, with the Lord and by now I should be in ministry somewhere. And so it's very important that I sign up and make sure that I'm involved to a certain level uh, extending myself because you know that God wants you to do that. Now, is there anything wrong with going to church? No. Is there anything wrong with ministry? No. It's your heart attitude about it. If you make it a law, here's the warning. You could put yourself in a situation where all of a sudden, rather than the joy that you used to have with the Lord and the blessing of him in your life and the freedom of walking in his spirit, you're doing things out of duty. How many of you have ever left that sweet spot with Jesus? And rather than continuing on in that love and relationship and intimacy with him, you kind of drifted into a legalism that actually brought a duty into your life. I want you to raise your hand. Has anybody ever done that? You know what? I believe it's a fight. That's why we've got to stand firm. Quiet time. I already mentioned it in my life. There was one time, I mean, I was rigid when it came to having a quiet time. And I, at one point in my, in my life, when I lived in San Diego, I, I was heading to where I always had my quiet time. I'd, I'd have it down in a, in a kind of a natural park, and I'd walk with God. I had wonderful times there. And I, and one time I was, I was driving, I was, coming, I was coming out from the street from my house, and I was going down the hill where the park was. And as I go down the hill, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going down to have my quiet time. And all of a sudden I hear the Lord say to me, this is one of those real clear times, he says, Don't have a quiet time. I said, What? Of course, you, you know, question is that the Lord? Right? The next line, though, convinced me it was. He said, Your ra- righteousness is filthy rags. Because my heart was wrong. I was getting it done. Since we came here from San Diego, that expression seems to say it. I was getting it done. You know, it was happening. But where is my life with God? You know, I forfeited what I originally had was, is, you know, I'm a filthy sinner. I don't deserve nothing. And I'm just leaning into this, and God is doing the rest. And wow, look what he's doing. This is miraculous to the extent that, oh, boy, I'm just showing up because I'm supposed to do this. Now, don't get, please don't think I'm saying don't have a quiet time. I'm not saying don't go to church. I'm not saying anything that's part of the spiritual life, but you know what it really comes down to? Was circumcision a genuine and real and important thing? Yes, God was the one who started it, but it became a law. Now I'm going to say something that as well might get me kicked out. All right? Recently, since the change, and I'm the pastor at the church, ah, twice, twice, We've had a small group of people come up and share that they're bothered by some of the worship music that we sing, okay? And we've had you know, many conversations about it, you know, and, um, and I'll just give you one. This, is, this went a bit, there was a lot to this, but I just want to give one little part of this, okay? Okay. More recently, there was a conviction that um, Hillsong and uh, Bethel music right that um, particularly hillsong that uh, that was the um, pro- that they were in their church where those, that music is in a sense produced out of the worship teams come from there that um, they believed in the prosperity gospel okay and the prosperity gospel. Um, means that, you know, you're going to be prosperous if you are right with God. And obviously, there are absolutely things about that that are wrong and misleading, and the devil can use that and so on. So, so we had a group of people saying, okay, because um, that's true of that church, that we should now no longer sing anything to, uh, uh, of their music, Okay. And um, and so uh, even some people on our worship team. And so it, it, it created a situation that was difficult. Uh, we went to the scriptures as we're, we're what we are to do. Um, but the bottom line was when it was all said and done, uh, people, people, different people have different convictions. All right. Well, We had many conversations. Finally, there was a small group that actually left the church because we wouldn't make the decision to go back into our database that literally went back to Tony's time. Uh, I think it was 65 songs that we had regularly sung to the Lord that they wanted us to erase from our computer and never sing those songs again because anytime we sang those songs, Hillsong would get money, right? So, you know, as, as a new pastor, some of these things I'm going, like, what do I do? And I asked, you know, different folks, you know, well, how did you handle it? And it, it's and from what I understand, it's not an easy deal, okay? But I learned something in this, all right? In Romans chapter 14, it says that, you know, there are people who are weaker in faith and stronger in faith. There are those who have faith. That they can believe what Titus says, and that is, to the pure, all things are pure. If your heart's right and a song is scriptural, sing it. (laughs) Right? But there's others who, you know, similar to a pagan who's been taken out of, you know, idolatry where there's temple worship and meat has been sacrificed to animals, you know, they can't just go down to the market and buy the meat that was sacrificed to a demon. And, and Paul says, don't make them. Everybody needs to come along, okay, in their, in their walk with the Lord. So everybody's going to have their own conviction, and, and we do have to make some decisions, but my point here is in this context. What I learned, it's okay to have your personal conviction. It's okay to respond to it personally, it's okay to encourage somebody else in their own pilgrimage with the Lord. But the minute that you make your conviction a law, you're bringing leaven into the church that is divisive. You make it your own conviction, great. We had people actually, when the worship team would sing one of these songs, they would even be, be standing and you'd look at them and they would not even be moving their mouth. Because they felt that if they, they actually moved their mouth and sang that song, they would be doing something against God. And they really believed that. That's tough. But it got to the point where all of us needed to conform with the convictions of a few. That is now something that has gone on beyond what God intended that it would be. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of, labor, a, a yoke of slavery. Appreciate the fact that somebody else has a different conviction from you. Hey, how many got a book before COVID hit of how to handle it in the church? <laughs> Were there any differences of opinion in the church? <laughs> it's against it's the same thing. You can have a different conviction. But what is... God wants us to first come to the Holy Spirit and be living our life for the Lord and not judging one another. We can have God's grace and actually accept the fact that you're in a different place than I'm at. And and you know what? We're going to all look to Jesus because he knows. He knows exactly what we're to do. And here's the unbelievable thing. On a personal level, you're not going to be accountable for what anybody else does. You're only going to be accountable for what you do. So do it before him, love him, walk with him, be faithful. I love that verse, and I'm going to get off on this, but Romans 14, at the very end it says, blessed is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. That's your deal, but I need to be in the same way, and we have freedom to be who God wants us to be. Well, let me, let me develop this just a little bit more. He says, um, Verse 3, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. Now remember, circumcision wasn't part of the law, but it was that they made it a law, right? And if you go that route, you got to do it all the way. You can't go halfway. You got to make sure that every I is dot and every T is crossed and you got to faithfully do it. If you've ever felt yourself bound, then you know what? Honestly, tell you what, sometimes I've felt paralyzed in my life because I'm so fearful of doing the wrong thing. The law goes along with fear. I've got to make sure it happens. And yet the Lord has said, no, that was the old covenant. You have a relationship with me. You can have the freedom and rest in me. I've accomplished it. In fact, Hebrews says, it's finished. The work is done. Abide in me and I in you. And I'll do much better than trying to change you from the outside. I'll change you from the inside that comes from my glory coming into your life. You'll never take credit for it. You'll never take credit for it. I don't care how determined you are. I don't care how sincere you are. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. You choose, you make the decision, but it's God's work in your heart and in your life. So you got to keep the whole law if you go that route. And of course, that's impossible. Verse four, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You have, let me read it again, you have been severed or estranged from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. I feel kind of like the Lord's put it on my heart to say, is anybody out here trying to be justified by the law? You trying to be justified? You know that expression, justify yourself? There's a justification that comes from why you are the way you are or what you're doing. And unfortunately, you can try to justify yourself. Somehow through the law. Paul says in in Romans 4 that Israel had a form of righteousness, but it was their own. (laughs) They weren't familiar with the righteousness of God. So the point is this. It's impossible to justify how you are or what you do. The justification is only from one source, and that is from Jesus himself who says, you are justified, not because of what you did, but because I I sent my son. He died on the cross for you. He forgave you all of your sin. And then he transformed you. He brought you into the kingdom of God. And he placed upon you this statement, you are righteous. Not in your own righteousness, but in his righteousness. It's his. Do You remember that famous verse? Seek first the kingdom of God. What's the next two line? Amen. Whose righteousness? It's his righteousness. Even that, you could go after the kingdom of God, but ultimately it's not about you. It's about what the Lord wants to do you, through you. So this verse, again, very important. You have been estranged or severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Is it possible for a believer to fall from grace? It is. Now, ultimately, I want to make this clear. I do not believe that this in any way means you've lost your salvation. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. He will be true. But the thing is, you're not benefiting from your relationship with him. And you're missing What it was that actually could only happen in an intimate relationship with your Savior. Severed. I don't like that word, severed. But I also don't like the word, New King James, estranged. Estranged makes more sense to me because they're there, but you don't know them. Do you know Christ? Did you talk to Him today? Did He make Himself known to you personally today? Do you realize that he is our life and we have no source of being different apart from knowing him? He, mean, he can't just be a doctrine. One of my favorite scriptures is in, in John chapter five. Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. But it's these that bear witness of me and you're unwilling to come to me. Could someone have scripture and the reading of scripture as an idol? And they don't actually know where they're, what the scriptures point them to do, and that is to have a relationship with Christ? Is that possible? Can you miss out the love that he wants to show you and pour into your life and to give you the victory? Can you miss that by getting it done and doing those spiritual things that other people think, wow, look, he is really devout? But you don't know the one who loves you. You don't know the one who set you free. It's a wonderful thing to let go and to rest and to relax in, his God, in God's presence and to let Him be who He's supposed to be in our lives. Verse 5. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Now, that could be potentially a confusing verse, because isn't it true that when you have faith in Christ, you are instantly righteous? Meaning that you're counted righteous before God, right? You wouldn't actually be considered a son and daughter of God if you're not righteous. You have, as I said a minute ago, his righteousness. That's one thing, and it's wonderful that that his name is on our lives and we're already accepted in the beloved. But this is different. Look what it says. For we, through the Spirit by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. There's a form or way of having God's righteousness that is something that we have to wait for and is progressively more and more. We don't get it all right away. In a practical level, it means what's happening in our lives. What's going on right now? How much are you closer to being like Christ? Having his qualities and characteristics in in your life today. You know, having a changed heart, beginning to love others, not having pride. That's something that we have a hope that the Holy Spirit will do that in our lives as we walk with the Lord every day. And he is committed to conform us into his image. So Paul says, listen, we're not trying to go the way of works. We're not trying to go the way of laws. We're going through the Spirit. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We believe God. And we know, without a shadow of doubt, that he is committed to us to transform us and to conform us into his image. And that all the glory will go to the Lord. And I'm going to come back to that in a second, but the last verse of our passage. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Many, for many years, i had read that verse, and I said, well, I don't really understand that. I don't get that. What's that mean? Well, it clicked at some point. Let me read it again. For in Christ Jesus, that means if you're saved and you're in Christ Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Can I say this? Whether you get it done or you don't get it done, whether you eliminate certain things in your life that aren't supposed to be there, or you add certain things that are supposed to be there, if it's done in the flesh, it is useless and it has absolutely nothing that is in merit to God. Now, if you're, if you're a devout legalist, that's discouraging you know what I mean? Give me some credit. I got it done at least. You didn't have a quiet time and I did. (laughs) You know, you can take this in many levels, you know. I was sincere enough, you know, to let my, let, uh, my eyes not wander, to look at those of the opposite sex. But I did it. I tamed myself you know what? If it was done in the flesh, it's of no avail. It has to be by the Holy Spirit. You can't change yourself. And I find that the more that we're in the mode of changing ourselves, the more critical we are of everybody else. That's right. You know, who's a little bit better than the next? You know, a good indicator of whether or not you're in the flesh or the Spirit is how thankful you are. A critical person is not thankful. But somebody who's walking by the Spirit is thankful because they realize that God did it. And I love that, the freedom to worship God and say, what did I have to do with anything, Lord? You're, my, you're everything to me. I love you. Last, last part. Just quickly go um, with me to Philippians. It's to the right. In Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to finish with this. It kind of confirms what we just said about righteousness. There's the righteousness that is, in a sense, given to you because you're in Christ. But there's also the righteousness that grows in your life as you're walking with Him by the Spirit. Look at this passage here, Philippians chapter 1 and... Let me find my spot here. Well, we'll go ahead and just start with verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. It's all about grace. For God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. and this I pray. Now watch this, that your love may abound still more and more in what? Real knowledge in all discernment. That's his prayer, that they would actually have more and more love in their lives as they had their relationship with Christ and the affection of Christ. Verse 10, so that you may have, what? Approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, that little prayer there is to say, I believe. He prayed that they would make right decisions. That you may approve the things that are excellent. To make right decision is only possible, follow this, as you're walking by the Spirit. You can't make right decisions if you don't have his help. A little bit more. Verse 11, having been what? Filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's praying that they would actually be filled with what? The fruit of righteousness. Fruit comes as a result of the plant being in the right place. If you're rooted in Christ, there is no way that you're not going to have more and more of his righteousness in your life. It will always be a fruit, though. It will not be worked out, earned, and done out of duty. It's a fruit of you knowing him and him knowing you. It's a blessing. Can I just, I just want to say this last thing because I, it, was, it was in my notes, and I just want it to be the last thing we talk about. Just go back to Galatians, and it, just take a second. Galatians 5. Verse 16, don't miss this, okay? Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so what? So that you may not do the things that you please. Had a revelation one time and I realized That unless we walk by the Spirit, ultimately, we can't make a choice to do ultimately what God wants us to do. You and I have to have His help because if you're like me when I'm my flesh, I'm in bondage. I can't even think straight. I don't even know what my direction should be. But if you're walking by the Spirit, you have that liberty and the freedom in Christ to make a decision. It's a wonderful thing to make a decision. And isn't it a wonderful thing not to be paralyzed? You can freely do what God has called you to do. So let's, uh, let's pray together, okay?